Um, so I want to start out this way by kind of throwing out there all the different ways that we view and talk about time. Um, and yeah, the clock is running. That is not a true clock. I'm not 15 minutes late already. So don't even worry about it. Um, it's just the idea of while we're going, seconds are ticking away. Um, but I want to share this with you. I wrote this out um, kind of as a spoof, but I hope it clarifies, opens up our eyes a little bit as we get ready to dive into time. Um, so here we go. Take two. Time. Do you have time? No. Nobody has time. Everybody has a clock, but nobody has time. The only way we ever have time is if we make time or take time. We make time by doing what needs to be done more efficiently, or we take time away from things that are not required. We can spend time, waste time, or save time, but it is not a currency that gives back. We can, time can fly, crawl, and stand still without ever changing its pace. There are a lot of other examples I could, I could give, but honestly, who has the time? Um, and all through there, you start to see, like, every one of those things are things that we may have said who knows how many times a day. Can you do this? I don't know that I have time. I really need to spend some time doing this. Man, time really got away from me. Man, time was flying by when we were doing that. Oh, I wish time would hurry up. It's taking forever. Usually that's at work. Um, but that's, we, that's kind of what we think about with this time thing. But... Ironically, I had already been thinking about time as I was preparing this message. I had already gone, before I even knew that I was going to get to share this message, God had already been laying on my heart through the passage Matt preached two Sundays ago. So I sent him a text after he preached, like, great, now i got to change my text. Thanks, Matt. And I was just teasing with him. But when I shared with him, I know. Yeah. She's pointing at the clock. I'm like, I know, it's ticking. Um, I had already been looking at the parable of the talents and noticing that there's this, there's this aspect of it that we don't consider. When you look at the parable of the talents, the focus usually, like Michael said last week, is usually on the talents, the money side of it. We're entrusted with a certain amount. It's our responsibility to take that resource that God entrusts to us to use it faithfully and obediently in his kingdom to provide him some kind of a return for whatever he's given us. And we've specified so far that there is an entrustment, and that part of that entrustment is our abilities. We know that money is a part of that. Next week, we're going to hear from David talking about treasure. And so we know money and abilities are a big part of it. But there's, a, there's another thing that he gives here. Each person, each servant in this thing is given something different. They're given different amounts of treasure. To one five, to one three, to another he gave one. They're given that based on their differing abilities. So they've already been gifted by the Lord with different strengths, different weaknesses, and it's according to those abilities that they were given their set amounts of resource. The one thing that they were all given exactly the same was the amount of time that they had between his departure and his return. Not a single one of them could have turned back and said, I would have done better. I would have done as good as the guy with five talents, but I didn't have enough time. But he couldn't say that because he was given the exact same amount. And for us, it is really no different because no matter where you are in the world, a second is a second, is a minute, is an hour, is a day. Regardless. 
Time is a great equalizer across the planes because you look at somebody like, man, that person is so successful. I wish I had that kind of time. No, you don't. You wish you had that kind of discipline and priority. That's the, that's the, that's the divider. It's not the time that you're given. It's what you do with that time given. And we're going to get to that a little bit more specifically in a minute. Because even in the very beginning, Genesis 1 verse 5, God said he called the light day, the darkness night, evening, morning, the first day. Right at the very beginning, he says, here is the plane in which you will live your life, a 24-hour day. This is your time frame. Seconds, minutes, hours, days. And it will tick by one second at a time. Every second that goes by translates the future into the past. And whether or not we grab it when it comes by to do something with it is entrusted to us. So that's what we're getting into this week because um, one of the things we understand about this resource is the one resource in this parable that you can't assess. You're given money. Let's say if, if I called Matt and said, Matt, um, I had a estranged uncle that passed away that met me one time in his life when I was like three. And for whatever reason, I'm his favorite relative. I got everything. And so he's like, well, okay, do you want to talk about how much was it? I'm like, well, let's talk about how much. Let me, okay, factor this, count, 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 count. Okay, this is how much I know I have. Let's plan to do something with this. You can assess value of things, property, treasures, those kind of things, money. Like those things are easy to count, to budget, to, to plan out. You can even do an abilities assessment. What are you good at? What are you passionate about? What has God spiritually gifted you with that's unique to you that may, may not be something else that somebody does? For me, you know, one of the things I can share with you that um, I have learned over the years that I, I apparently am pretty good at is processes. So for me to be in a job and to see something that goes from point A to point B and everything required in the middle to get it from point A to point B, I tend to visualize that really well and organize to that structure very efficiently. It's just something I'm good at. I see it. And so I'm thankful that it's really helped me in my job as an inventory manager but that's very unique to me. But I can take that ability, assess it, and figure out where is the best place for me to apply that ability, that talent, for the, good, for the use of God, for his kingdom. What can I do with it? I can assess that. We can take a test and say, oh, you're going to be a plumber when you grow up. I don't know if you took that test in high school, but I'm not a plumber. Um, they, met, they got that one wrong. But the, um, those things can be assessed. Time cannot be assessed. The only reality that we know of about time is that we get it one second at a time. Even for the, for the servants in this parable, they didn't know when the master was coming back. I'm going away. I will return. That's all they had. It could have been a day. It could have been 10 years. It could have been 50 years. They had no idea. They only knew that they had been given, they had been entrusted with a possession of some kind, of some part of his land or some allotment of money, and that they had certain abilities that he used to judge how much to give them, and that whatever time he's gone, that's, they had a set amount of time to do something with that. And the time is the part they couldn't assess. They could have said, well, he's probably going to be gone for a little while, so I could, I'm going to take a month off. He's gone. I mean, he's not here. I'm going to take a month off and just kind of chill. What if he was only gone a month? What if he was gone less than a month? I mean, or what if he was gone a year? We just, they could not judge when he would come back. They just had to be ready. 
And so time is a fleeting thing. It just it, it disappears. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow that we will go into such a, such a town, spend a year here or there trading and making a profit. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's a very difficult thing to plan time because any one thing can change and everything changes. Um, in fact, Sunday school this morning was um, in 1 Thessalonians, the last little chap- uh, section of chapter 4, and it actually was t- talking about a perspective of time, realizing that there will come a time when all time ceases and that God will come and bring judgment to those who have afflicted those who, who call on his name. I mean, it was, it's a powerful statement, but the fact that time is fleeting and that we don't know how God's going to work, and we don't know when he's going to return, we don't know when he's going to call us specifically out of this world, are very real factors. Time only exists in the present. I mean, we've already talked a little bit about that. The, the present is really just this little microsecond of a slither in the span of history from beginning to end, translating all future into all past, and we get it one little bit at a time. Um. Paul references this in Philippians 3.19. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made all this that I've talked about my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. Not that the past doesn't matter, because you see all through Scripture where God is, is telling his people, remember the Lord. Remember his works. Remember how he brought you out of Egypt. Remember how he gave to you, into your hands, this group of people that you were trying to conquer. Remember how he provided you manna from above, how he provided you the relief from the snake bites when you looked on the brass serpent. Remember how he provided. I mean, it's remembering back to what God's already done that gives us stability and hope for the days to come. Because when we hit face-to-face with a trial, it's our ability to remember the promises of God and how he's already worked that help us to have the faith and endurance and perseverance to go through that trial. And so remembering is a part. Past is important, but it's not a place we need to live. It's already happened. It's already gone. We can't regret that decision. It's already happened. We've already committed that sin. We've already missed that opportunity. It's gone. The only thing we can do at this point is start now and seize the opportunities when they come. Paul says, forget what's behind, press on to what lies ahead. Jesus echoes this too. He's like, now if you're thinking too far ahead, you can get worried about what's coming. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its troubles. One day at a time. Lord, what are we going to do and eat tomorrow? We got to get through today first, buddy. One day at a time. Calm down. Slow your roll. Simmer. And Jesus is really, like that command that he drops there was one that I, I reminded my grandmother a lot when she was still with us. She's gone since gone to be with the Lord. But my grandmother was paralyzed by anxiety. I mean, you, I would say, hey, you know, we're getting ready to go this way and this way. And she's like, oh, you're going to drive from here to Florida? What? Be careful. Let me know when you're there. And I'm like, I don't even let my dad know when I'm there, Granny. Simmer down. Granny, do you know that the Bible says don't worry? She's like, oh, oh, just plays it off, but just paralyzed by anxiety. But here, Jesus is this little, drops this little command. Do not be anxious for tomorrow. 
Are you consumed by worry, by anxiety, the fear of the unknown? That's a gripping fear, and it's a fear that the devil loves to use because how are we going to know that we can trust the Lord two steps ahead if we've not even dealt with the step right in front of us? And that's all God says. I need one step at a time, one day at a time. That's the focal point of our trust in our walk with him, which is why we need to take advantage of the here and now. All through the scripture, it's just echoes. I've only got three examples that I've written down, but all through the scripture is this intense focusing in on right now. Listen to this. Joshua, at the very end of his life, doesn't say, as you get into the land and you get into the things that are coming, here's what you should do. No, he says, choose this day who you will serve. Today. Tomorrow's going to come. Tomorrow's going to be dealt with. I'm about to die. You have to decide today who are you going to follow. All of these idols or the living God. We all have to make that decision every single day because we battle our own sin nature. We fight against this, this flesh and this sin and this world to, to be prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. So every day we have to say, Lord Jesus, I am yours. You take this body. You take this man. Put me to death that I may live to you every single day. Take up your cross daily. We have to take advantage of the here and now. Esther, when she was brought up into a position of prominence and the people were threatened, she was a little fearful. Mordecai reminded her, for such a time as this, Esther, who's to say that God has not put you exactly where you need to be for exactly this moment? Focus in. And she did. You know, we, we have that story that we can really bank on. Lord, help me to focus in right now because right now is what you're actually doing. I know the promises for the days to come. I remember how you provided then. But right now, I need to react and act in accordance with your word and your promises. We take advantage. We must work while it's still day for the night is coming. Um, I grew up in a lot of backwoods churches in Tennessee. Um, I was really excited the other day. I got a call from one of my pastor friends. They just got plumbing. Really excited about going back sometime. Um, that outhouse was getting old. You're joking. I remember going to an outhouse at my grandmother's church. It's funny. Um, but we must work while it's still day, for the night is coming. There is going to be an end at some point in time. But that end can come from a couple of different ways. Our days are numbered personally, like we'd already mentioned in Psalm 139, 16. Lord, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, while yet there were none. It's a, hard, it's, it's, a, it's a sobering reality to remember that before you were even born, before your great-great-grandparents went on their first date, God knew you and knew when you would be here and exactly how long you would be here. He's in control. He's sovereign. He knows our days, and they're numbered. I don't know the number. I don't know when my life personally on this earth is going to come to a close. It will at one point in day, whether by old age and fatigue or like my, I shared with in the Sunday school class, my grandfather, he, uh, he passed away one week after 9-11. I was looking forward to a normal week that week. But I get a call Monday morning that he had passed and that he had just had a clean bill of health from the doctor, was at home that early that morning with my grandmother 
Got up, go to the restroom, came back to bed, laid down, sat up real fast, said, ow. And he was gone. In a split second. And I'm not, it's not, I'm not trying to scare anybody. It's just we forget this is the reality in which we live. We are not promised the next breath. Search the scriptures. We are not guaranteed the next breath. The only thing that we are promised is that when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood shed for our sin and have faith in him and his resurrection from the dead, we will be saved. There are other promises in there, but that's the only eternal hope for tomorrow that we ever have is Jesus Christ. So our personal days are numbered. All of time itself has an end date. At one point in time, there will be a trumpet that blasts. You know, I say, it says trumpet, but in my head it's a French horn. I don't know why. I mean, trumpets are cool, they're powerful, but if you've got a big group of brass, like, more like a big brass ensemble, you know, like this big, powerful noise. And it, and it happens. When I was a little boy riding with my grandfather in the truck to go to um, Pennine Feed Store to get sweet feed for the cows. This, I'm getting really detailed. I grew up farming, y'all. Um, riding in the truck with him, having read a book by Josh McDowell called The Return, where he kind of lays out this story about the return. And there's this group and um, some, like, space group that's monitoring this activity in space. And there's a satellite that just disappears. And they, they start getting other satellites pointed. What happened? What happened? And there's a big tear in the sky. And it's rolled over like a scroll. And very vivid pictures that are happening. And they're sitting there like, what's going on? And it's the return. You know, the Lord's coming back. But, um, but I'm sitting there thinking about all this. And I say, Papa, what, what, are we going to see that if it's on the other side of the planet? And Because in, in your head, think about it. If we're standing here facing straight up in the, in the sky, on the opposite side of the earth, they're looking up into the sky. And what if it's on that side? What, am I going to see it? How am I going to know? And he said, boy, it's my papa. When that trumpet sounds, it's going to rock the very foundations of creation. You'll feel it. And so I'm like, whew, thanks for scaring me, papa. Um... <laughs> But that's, that's the reality, again, in which we live. Our time is numbered. Our days are numbered. But all time is also numbered. Um, Paul echoes this in Corinthians. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will rise imperishable, and we shall be changed. Split second, twinkling of an eye, um, everything changes. And because we live with that reality, the fact that we don't know when our time is going to end, we don't know when all time is going to end, it is vital for us to take full advantage of what time we are given. Again, Paul, Ephesians 5.16, Therefore, considering everything we just talked about, be careful how you walk, believer, not as the unwise, but as the wise who take full advantage of the time given them. That is a hard challenge. Now, I could end here and say, go take full advantage. You got it? But I can't stop there. Because it's important, like it was for me seven years ago, to ask the question, how? 
What does that look like? What does it look like to take full advantage of the time given? Understanding now how we exist in time, how we can't bank on having more time, and knowing that at one point there will be an end to all time, and I have to give an account. What do I do? And here's just a couple of practical things. Take stock of your day, your daily time. Regardless of when it is, pick a Monday. Pick a Thursday. It doesn't matter. I mean, every day. Take a daily stock of how your time is spent. If you want to know, if you want to get an idea of what a person cares about or what they're passionate about, ask them this question. What do you do on your free time? What do you do when you're not obligated to do anything else? You'll start to get an idea of what they really care about. Oh, man, I just need to be in the boat fishing. Or, man, I can't wait to go to this, this or that game. Or, man, I'm looking forward to Endgame, that new Marvel movie coming out at the end, the end of next month. This month, no, tomorrow, next month. Soon. That's my, that's my little hobby. Um, but whatever they're passionate about, that's what they marinate on. That's what they build their time toward to get to do. You know, that passage that says, out of the mouth, the mouth spills out of that which fills the heart. That's not just about bad things. That's about what we care about. You ever know people that are so into cooking? CrossFit? I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm thankful for this shirt. Like some people already said, hey, nice shirt. Turn it down a little bit. <laughs> Dennis. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I, really, I was excited to get this shirt. But when you're as big as me, the idea of do you like it? Not even an issue. It's how much and does it fit? And, but thankfully, I was like, ooh, shark shirt. That's kind of fun. But Jenna was like, I kind of like that. I'm like, score, and it's on sale, and it fits. So I'm getting off track. Um, but take stock of our time. Right now is the time in which we live, and we have to assess how do we, how do we currently spend our time. What do we do? What do we do the most? And once we realize that, we have to really, really take stock. The way to dig in is one of the ways that I did because the, the way that this really hit me was when I was considering that my life had dramatically changed. I had been living up to a point and pursuing vocational ministry to be a pastor, paid pastor, minister of some kind. That's really what I thought God was calling me to. But when that door completely closed, I wasn't sure he was going to open it up again. So I'm standing in a granite fabrication shop asking the question, I have a heart to serve and to minister for you, Lord. How can I do that here? And I had no idea. Nobody knew. I'd, I'd ask my pastors. They had no clue how to tell me. And so I was left to dig this out. And this is what started to weigh on me. Every single day we have to give to the Lord in ministry. The position that you hold is not your ministry. These guys are serving us, and I'm thankful for that. But there is no difference in expectation from the Lord to you than it is to them. The only difference that we know from Scripture is that because they have stood up among us as leaders and teachers is they get a harsher judgment at the end. And I'm thankful that they, they said, you know what, my love for God's people and my love to see the people grow and the church grow is so much that I will take that extra judgment, Lord. That's the only difference between me and Matt. The expectation for my walk, to walk worthy, to live the gospel, to share the gospel, to love the people, to be a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, exactly the same. No difference. And I, that's the thing that was weighing on me. I'm like, I don't have the position, but I have the heart. Everything else is the same. What do I do now, Lord? He said, consider your day. Count your hours. 
I, actually, I do the math. David, I actually do love math, but I'm not an accountant. Maybe I should look into that. Um, every year we have 8,760 hours at our disposal. Did you know that? You do now. Um, of those, we will spend approximately 2,920 of those hours sleeping. Mothers with kids just went, yeah, right. Um, whatever the time frame is, figure roughly one-third of your life is given to sleep. Already we're thinking, a third of my life is gone because I have to sleep. <laughs> of the remaining little bit, we'll spend roughly half of that, another third, working. That's when it hit me. I'm spending the bulk of my time outside of family and outside of my church family with work, with work people doing work things, engaging in the workplace God, i got to give this to you. How do I do it? And we dealt with that from there. And for those of you who have sat through um, with the class I taught last year, hope maybe this year, I don't know. i got to ask Michael for permission. Um, but that's, that's the, one of the driving things for me that I care about is to see people, believers in the workplace, living and ministering for the Lord in the workplace, taking, that, taking full advantage of that time. So we have to take, take that into consideration, our time, and make sure, make and take time from what, for what matters. We have to take time away from things to give time to things that do matter. We can't make more time. We have to sacrifice something. And there's a lot of things that we can sacrifice. Leisure itself is no more evil than money. Okay, Before we start down this road, understand this. I have things that I like that really by themselves have no eternal value. I like woodworking. But if I'm just in a woodshop woodworking, whittling something away, God's not going to go, hey, can I put that frame in your mansion? No. He doesn't, I mean, it's just, it doesn't bring him any eternal value. But if I use that to build relationships, then it could. But the activity itself is not evil any more so than money is evil. But once we, the love of that activity or the love of that thing becomes so much that it becomes an idol in our life, that's when it becomes evil. And here's some examples. Number one. Uh, these are one and two, actually. This is like 1A, 1B, because I can't separate them. Because if it, uh, yeah. Sports, entertainment. These are probably the two biggest sappers of our time. Games we watch, games we participate in, conversations about games and points and stats that accumulate, or talk about the fictional. Marvel, movies, characters that don't exist, storylines that have never happened, never will happen. But think about the time that we spend on those two things alone, sports and entertainment. Um, hobbies, good to have, but soon our hobbies can become the driving passion of our life. Um, recreation, fitness, cooking, binge-watching shows on Netflix, as an example. Um, you know, I really, uh, <laughs> that really hit home when, we, when Jen and I are at home sometimes, I, I, you know, thinking about what do we, you know, when we put Ada down, we've got a little bit of time to ourselves. We'll watch a show. Right now we're watching Gator Boys, which is fun. But at the same time, you know, like, you know, if we really want to invest in our relationship, that's the time we have. So we have to take time away from leisure watching stilly, stupid shows to give time to something that's more eternal. And, it, and it's tough because you're like, man, I'm so tired. Worked 14 hours. And it's not one of the days this week I did work 14 hours. Had a long day at work. I'm just exhausted. And I could get home and have me time or I can understand that I when I get home there are other things at play there's my wife there's my daughter and they matter and the only way that I can communicate that they matter to me is by giving them that time that normally we would say I need this for me we have to be careful about how we spend our time 
Once we start seeing where my time goes through the day, we have to prioritize appropriately. We have to assess, value assess everything that we do based on two questions, eternal or temporal. There are a lot of things that fall under temporal that could have eternal value, but we have to be intentional about it. Be honest in your assessment and learn to say no. I know some like uh, I know some people that just they can't say no. If you get asked, oh, well, one of the one of my coworkers really really bad about this. Anybody anywhere comes and asks them to do anything. Oh, absolutely, let me get that done. But that immediately becomes the most important thing, and then the next important, and it just keeps building. And then she'll say, Hey, I got to get all this done. Can you do this? I'm like, No. <laughs> Not that I don't want to help, but I'm like, Here here are the things that I know that I have to do within a set amount of time. If I get these done sooner. I'll come talk to you, and I'll help you. But I have to get this done. You have to learn how to say no after you prioritize. And another good question to ask as we go through Scripture and read through Scripture, and again, this is why this is more of a topical sermon, because it really does encompass from beginning to end, literally Genesis 1, 5, and then at the very end, and it was done. Um, how did Jesus manage his time? Because it's not typical. You'd think of all people, if they had their stuff together, it was Jesus, Right? But look at the things he did that we would think, you know, okay, we struggle to do ourselves. Jesus woke up early in the morning to go pray while it was still dark. You know, that's, that's, that's a challenge for some people. He's like, yeah, I can't really find time to pray. I'm like, no, that's not the answer. The answer is actually you're not willing to give time to pray. Because you have to take time from something else. Call it sleep, beauty rest. Some of us need more than others. Michael. Not Sarah, no, Michael. I'm talking about Michael. Um, but that, we have to prioritize it. And then notice that Jesus took time away. He took time away from the people that he was walking with to go be alone with his heavenly father. This is Jesus, God in the flesh. If he needed that time, you definitely need that time. I definitely need that time. Jesus stopped a procession moving to go help save a dying daughter of a centurion to figure out who touched him in a crowd. Now, on one hand, you're with the woman, right? You immediately think, oh, the tender heart of Jesus, he just cares. And he does. I'm not making light of that at all. Put yourself in the shoes of a centurion. Your daughter's dying. She could be breathing her last breath right now. Lord Jesus, please, we got to go now. And all of a sudden he says, whoa! Who was that? And he turns to go the other way. Now the centurion's freaking out. Why all of a sudden is my daughter not important? How many times do we ask that question when we put our priorities first? But Jesus' greatest priority all through his life on this planet was the glorification of his father. I came to do his will, not mine. I came to share his words, not mine. I came to give my life that he could be just I mean, think through everything Jesus did was driven by the fact that God be glorified in my life. Father, make them one as we are one. He did that by going off by himself to be with his father to pray that for us. So he makes that stop. He stops what some would consider an urgent need to deal with a more urgent need. And that was the glorification of his father. Jesus waited four days to go see Lazarus. Imagine being on the tail end of that letter. You know, they get to let Jesus, Lazarus is dying. We need to go. He goes, all right, pack our stuff. We leave in four days. Now, 
the customs at the time, you know, once a person dies, it's like three or four days while they, that they mourn that there's this thought of their spirit hovers, like there's this, this, the, that time period is important. For him to wait four days to come means he is past the point of any hope of them regaining any life. He's already decaying. And so he comes when they are hopeless to show them the true glory and the power of God that he could not have shown them by showing up, Lazarus, you sick? He's like, I'm fine. Yeah, you're healed. Get up. I mean, he could have done that, responded based on their urgency, but he responded based on God's urgency to be glorified among his people. And that's why he responded that way. But that's, he prioritized his time based on God glorified in his life. How different would our time be today if that's the deciding factor of everything that we touched or did? God be glorified in my life. Do I need to watch The Office for the 10th time? <laughs> that's self-confession. It's not been 10, something like 7. I don't remember. But it's, it's, we've, spent, we've wasted time doing that. And it, fall, and it falls heavy on me. Once we've gone through all that process, we've seen the example of Jesus, we have to make the important things important in our life. Colossians 3.17 is, is like the foundational verse for these past seven years in my life. Um, whatever you do in order, do you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's kind of central. But right after that, Paul goes into the application of that reality. And he only mentions two areas, family and work. That's it. That's all he mentions, family and work. Servants, obey your masters. Masters, treat your servants justly and fairly. You, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And that's it. I mean, he gives us those two arenas in which to, to really live that out, which is why we need to be very specific about how we spend our time. It's good to have things that we enjoy. It's good to have hobbies. It's good to go and do things. But ultimately, if our workplace is not our primary opportunity to serve the Lord and share the gospel, we've already wasted another third of, you know, a very significant portion of our time in our life. And if we're not taking that same advantage in our family, then we're also missing one of the greatest opportunities we have. Stop. <laughs> you shouldn't look at your wife when you preach. Just a note to the guys that are preachers. Um, but it's so limited. We have to spend that time cautiously. We have to guard specific areas, block out time, make and take time, and watch out for gospel opportunities. That's really the thing that we need to be looking for the most as, as, as a body of believers walking after the Lord is looking for opportunities to share and to, to, to exemplify that love that God's already given to us that we're enjoying now. I've, I've really tried to make a point of this at work where literally things can be nonstop from 7 a.m. until 9 p.m. Get caught up in trying to get things done, get the, get, keep production flowing. You gotta, it's manufacturing, so it's, it, you've got to keep rolling. But if when a coworker, a teammate, or even a manager or supervisor comes to me and says there's a need, I had my manager walk up to me one time. In the middle, like I had a truck in the warehouse, guys on the forklift, stone moving through the air, another guy moving a slab. I mean, literally things all around us. And he comes quickly and says, hey, I've got to run. My wife just got a call. Her, uh, her mother just had a stroke. Would you pray? He's not a Christian. Did I pray? Right in the middle of all that. Because if I had said, yeah, let's get together and pray after the fact. What if I didn't have any time? What if he didn't have any time? What if God said nobody has any time? 
we have to take full advantage. Um, and lastly, this is a no-brainer, but after considering everything that we just talked with, I hope this bears more weight. Our relationship with the Lord must be first. And that's the, uh, I had a co-worker ask me this week, you know, given all the time that you're here, because she knows, she knows how much time I've been working, um, and given, you know, I, she knows how much I love Jenna and how much I love my daughter. She's like, how? And she knows how active I am with church. How do you prioritize that? And it was just the, God, just give me these words. I said, if my relationship with the Lord is not the first and most important thing in my life, nothing else will be right. And it was just such an awesome thing. But I want to wrap the crying up. And get through this because this is too important. This is where, for us as believers, if we if we don't get this part right, it's not none of it's going to work. None of it's going to be right because it's going to be more of ourself rather than Christ through us. Uh, A. W. Tozer is quoted as saying, "Those who would know God must spend time with Him." Um, and Jesus echoes this: We worry about all of these things. We worry about tomorrow. We worry about what's going to happen here. We worry about our relationships, which is good. We worry about. Are we going to have enough time or enough money or enough ability, enough rest, enough energy to get through the day? And he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all that will be added. When we prioritize the Lord in our life, we find energy reserves that we didn't know we had. We find he gives us the time to do the things that we really need to do. And that's to develop our relationship with him and develop our relationship with others. And that's the, that's the whole essence of being a believer in the body is our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor. Um, so we, that's why he, he has to take that place of preeminence in our life. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 through 13. We all know 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. But it's these next two verses here that really hit me. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you search with all your heart. The fact that we can go to the Lord in prayer and prioritize time to be with him and he listens and he makes himself findable for us changes every... That's that's the peace beyond comprehension that the world can't understand. That's the hope in eternal life with him that sees us through these trials and tribulations that make others crumble because they don't have it. And so when we say, Lord, the time that you have given me, first and foremost, God, I need to dedicate time to you in gratitude and thanks. Let that be the first. And then, God, you'll show me the rest. It'll be a natural outpouring at that point. When God has your heart, everything else fits. Everything else works. And I want to end today by sharing the words of an old hymn um, that hopefully bear a lot more weight today, especially when you consider your relationship with the Lord. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with the Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children and help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world just rushes on. 
Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him you will be. Your friends and your conduct, his likeness to see. Take time to be holy and let him be your guide. And run not before him, whatever be tied. That verse came up this week in one of the verses of the day on the Bible app. Wait on the Lord. Um, in joy or in sorrow, still follow the Lord. And looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. Take time to be holy. Be calm in your soul. Each thought, each motive beneath his control. Thus, led by his spirit to a fountain of love, we will soon be fitted for service above. Let's pray.